0: Amen. Well, thank you, Owen, for that, and uh, welcome to you all. It's great to see uh, you here in the Octagon, uh, maybe some in the Overflow as well, and uh, others of you watching at home, it's great that we can join together in this way uh, and worship our God together. And uh, as Owen says, this afternoon we're going to continue our mini-series entitled Soundtrack uh, to Christmas, looking at uh, four songs Uh, that are recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, Uh, that were sung, if you like, in the run-up to or or after the birth of Jesus, uh, which we will celebrate in just two weeks' time. (laughs) Just under two weeks' time, yeah. Hope you're more ready than I am. (laughs) Over the past two Sundays, uh, Owen has spoken about Mary's song, And then the Song of Zechariah. And today we come to the third in our series of songs. And we're going to look today at the Song of Simeon. Before we read the passage, let me ask you, what's on your to-do list of things that you want to do before you die? Have you thought about it? What is it you really must or want to do before you die. It seems it's an obsession with people these days. We've even coined a phrase for it, bucket list. It seems there are bucket lists for those with just about any interest or character. You may want to visit every continent. You may want to do a bungee jump or take a hot air balloon ride or a parachute jump. People seem to start preparing their bucket lists even earlier these days, long before retirement. But one thing we know from our studies in Ecclesiastes and then in James is that we're not in control of our lives. We're not in control of our futures. We live finite lives. It's God who determines when our time on earth comes to an end. And that may be at an age that the world considers to be far too young. Or it may be well beyond your three score years and ten. The songster we're going to look at today had one thing on his list of what he wanted to do before he died. And for him, this wasn't a hope or a wish. It was a promise that he'd been given. We're going to read now from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And verses 25 to 40. I'm going to ask Fred if he would uh, come and read uh, the passage for us. Thanks, Fred. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verses 22
1: through 40. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him.
0: Thank you, Fred. Well, that passage deals with uh, uh, not just Simeon, but actually deals with Anna as well. I'm not going to speak... Uh, about Anna uh, today. Uh, She didn't sing a song, so she's not on the soundtrack, I'm afraid. So uh, today we're going to concentrate our thoughts on Simeon and the way in which he uh, interacted with the baby Jesus. And I want us to look at three aspects of this story. So the first aspect is that prophecy fulfilled, brought joy. Here in these few verses, we meet Simeon. It's the only reference to him in Scripture. So all we know about Simeon is contained in these few verses. We think of him as old, uh, and that's probably because, talk, uh, but because of his talk about being ready to die. But actually, nowhere in that passage does he say, does it say how old he was. We just think he's, he's old. Some commentators think he was actually uh, quite young. We think that he was a priest, uh, but actually nowhere in the passage does it say he was a priest. Uh, But I suspect that the implication is that he was the officiating priest of the day. What we do know from the passage is that he was a good man. He's described in verse 25 as righteous and devout. Other people saw him as upright and a good man, But more than that, he was God fearing. Here is a man who knew the scriptures, who was well versed in the prophecies in what we now call the Old Testament regarding the promise of the Messiah, one who would come to save the Jewish people. But he wasn't just a man of the word. Continuing on in verses 25 and 26, we read that the Holy Spirit was on him and that things had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who was present at creation and active throughout the Old Testament in equipping those who God had called and inspiring the prophets who wrote about God and revealed things that were to come, Simeon had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit things that he could not possibly have known for himself. Simeon was given a promise by God that he would not die until he'd seen Jesus. Wow. Do you get that? What a promise. You know, you're not going to die until you've seen Jesus. An amazing promise. We're not told when that was revealed to him. We don't know whether it was days or weeks or maybe years uh, before this event took place. Now, I don't see Simeon as someone who took this promise lightly. I don't know whether he shared this promise with anyone else, but I think he... He's the sort of guy who wouldn't have pushed this to the back of his mind, wouldn't have forgotten about it until this day came. I think he was someone who took this promise really seriously. I reckon that for him, each new day was filled with a sense of eager anticipation. Is it today, Lord? Yes, I think he would have been eager, even though, or maybe more likely because the fulfilment of the promise would bring him closer to the time of his death. Then in verse 27, we come to the day when Simeon was to see Jesus. Again, we see Simeon responsive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He probably attended the temple courts quite frequently, but the reason that he went to the temple courts at that precise time and on that day was because he was moved by the Holy Spirit to do so. We then see the glorious fulfillment of the promise he'd been given. In fact, it was even better. He didn't just see the infant Jesus. He got to hold him in his arms. What an amazing experience. You know, for me, it's a long time since I... uh, was able to hold my children, my three children, in my arms. Yeah? A long time ago. They're grown up now, taller than I am, most of them. Um, What a fantastic experience that is, to hold an infant, a baby, in your arms. Yeah? A creation, something that God has created, to be able to hold them in your arms. Such a special time. More recently, I've been able, able to hold my grandchildren in my arms, but even they're getting a bit too big for that uh, now. 2020 has been a strange year, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a strange year for us as individuals, it's been a a strange year for us as a church uh, family. We've had young babes born into our church community and I'd have loved to have held these young babes, you know, but COVID prevents us from doing so. We've got Kaya, we've got Jasper, we've got Lois, we've got Astrid, Eliza, all these babes you know, that God has gifted to people within our church community who I would have loved to have held, but actually we can't do so because of COVID. But here we have Simeon able to hold the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus. And as he held him, he uttered these words. Isn't he a beautiful baby? He's just like you, Mary. Well, no, actually, that's not what he said. Those might be the sorts of things that we say when we first set our eyes on somebody else's baby. But this was so different. This was the Messiah, the Son of God, and Simeon knew it. His response, and the only appropriate response on seeing Jesus, was to praise God. Yeah? Praise God. Imagine if you will the awe and the wonder Simeon felt at this moment he'd longed for this day and now it come his heart must have felt full of emotion as he burst into song his song recorded for us in verses 29 to 32 is known as the nunc dimittis latin for now you dismiss I remember as a child having to learn these words at school. And they're still used today as part of the Book of Common Prayer. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In verse 29, he acknowledges before God that he's ready to go. And continuing into verse 30, he tells us why. For my eyes have seen your salvation. As he holds the infant Jesus just 40 days after his birth, Simeon knows for sure that this is the promised one, the Messiah, the one who will save his people from their sins. Simeon has now seen all that he needs to see. For him, life is complete. Nothing could top this. What had been promised had come to fruition, so there was no need for him to continue his life on earth. He was at peace, joyful even at the prospect, for those who've seen or met with Jesus have nothing to fear when their days on this earth come to an end. Quite the contrary, death heralds the beginning of life eternal in the presence of Jesus. I have a question for you before we move on. What has God promised to you that has not yet been fulfilled? I'm pretty sure we all have things that God has said to us, either through his word or by his Holy Spirit. Or maybe somebody believes they've heard from God for you and has shared that with you. No matter in what way the Word comes to us, we need to check it aligns with and is not contrary with Scripture, as this is the authoritative Word of God. But what do, what do we do with the promise then? Are we casual about it? Or do we hold on to it keep a note of it, meditate on it, and pray into it. We, we know from his word and from our experience that God is faithful. He keeps his promises. So we want to take his promises to us seriously, but at the same time, not in a way that seeks to place timeframes on God that seeks to tell God when he should deliver. He knows best and his timing is perfect. Simeon was patient and he had the joy of seeing prophecy fulfilled. We see our second element as we move on through the passage. We see that purpose revealed brought hope. Simeon recognises that in his arms is the one who has come to bring salvation. He'd read about this in the scriptures and now it was happening in front of his very eyes. The opening part of the song that we've just looked at was very personal to him. It was a promise that had been given specifically to him And we saw him recognizing that this promise had been fulfilled. What we read from verse 30 onwards, though, is Simeon declaring what the coming of Jesus meant for a much wider audience. He talks of the significance of Jesus' coming for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. In fact, the audience for this part of the song was all peoples everywhere. In doing so, he draws on Old Testament prophecy. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 49 It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus, the Messiah, came from the line of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. The angel Gabriel spoke to Mary about God giving her, to her baby the throne of his father David. Jesus was of the nation of Israel, but Simeon confirms here that his coming was not solely for the children of Israel. It had much wider application. Jesus came in human form so that people throughout the world, people everywhere, of every tongue, of every tribe, of every nation, might know a way of escape for the consequences of their failure to live as God intended. The passage talks about a light shining in the darkness. Isaiah prophesied that people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Jesus came into a world of sin and depravity and ever since Adam and Eve had strayed from God's ways. For generations, the people had followed their own ways and lived to please themselves rather than God. Jesus, the sinless, spotless Son of God, came as a light shining in that world of darkness and exposed the sinfulness of the people and their need for a savior. You know, a light can point the way, can't it? A light can highlight danger. You know, we think of a lighthouse highlighting danger or light, a light lighting up a path to be followed. Hopefully, you've all booked in for the carol service, uh, carol concert next week. Um, it's uh, 4.30 in the afternoon as you know and by 4.30 it will be dark and you'll have to follow a path from the car park uh, over here uh, around the site to the barn it's not a path that I would want to walk along in the dark uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fair walk and there's a few potholes there at the moment we'll try and do something about those before uh, next Sunday but it's a, it's a dark path at night and I wouldn't want to lo- walk along there without lights. It would be pitch black because there's no street lighting anywhere nearby. So you'll need a torch or to rely on the lighting that we're going to uh, put up during the course of this week in order to navigate the path safely. Jesus came to point the way back to God, to show us the way back to God, to make it possible for us to come back into a relationship with God as it was always intended for us to have. Jesus, just as the coming of Jesus brought hope to the people of his day, so he offers hope to us today, to all of us, whether you're here in the octagon or whether you're watching online, he offers hope to us today. I don't know where you all stand today, whether you've yet had an encounter with Jesus that has led to you recognising your sinfulness and your need of a saviour. But the truth of Simeon's message and the whole of the Christmas story is that Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. We are reconciled to God and seen as righteous by him, not through anything we've done, but by the work that Jesus came to earth to do. We're saved not through our our own works, but by grace that he has extended to us. Once we've responded to that offer, we have hope. The same hope that Simeon had. We no longer need to fear death. It simply represents the start of a far better life in his presence forevermore. If we know the reality of this hope, Let's be those who care enough for those around to share with them the good news of the gospel. Let's take opportunities in the run-up to Christmas and through 2021, which hopefully will be a better year, a different year. Let's take the opportunities that are presented to us to talk about why Jesus came and to help others find their hope in him. As we continue in the passage, we see our third element, and that is that prediction delivered revealed the cost. So we read, and his father and his mother marveled at what Jesus said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. We see Mary and Joseph bowled over by the words that Simeon brought to them about their son, this infant child, bringing salvation to their people. It wasn't a new message to Mary, of course. She'd heard from the angel Gabriel uh, that she, an unmarried woman, was pregnant and was to give birth to a child and was to name him Jesus. The angel talked of him as one who would rule and reign. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and will reign over, he will reign over the house uh, of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. She knew this child was special and she'd accepted this humbly. Now this was being affirmed by the words that Simeon brought. I wonder if you've had that experience. God's spoken to you by his word or through the Holy Spirit, and maybe you've received the word joyfully and have believed it to be true. But then in his kindness, he uses somebody else, completely outside of the situation and with no immediate knowledge of what's gone before. To bring an affirming word. How reassuring is that? And that's what was happening to Mary. We read that Simeon blessed them, and then he addresses Mary directly, as she only, and not Joseph, uh, was related to Jesus. His words on the surface don't seem much of a blessing it's clear that her son is going to be a divisive character. Some will love him, but others will struggle with him and reject him. Simeon would have been familiar with Isaiah's prophecies. In Isaiah 8 and verse 14 we read, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap And a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. You know, that's such a true prophecy, so true of Jesus throughout his ministry. We see crowds flocking to Jesus, we see people following him around, hanging on every word, amazed by the miracles and healings that he performed. We see people responding in faith to Jesus, believing in him, trusting in him. In contrast, we see the reaction to his coming from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the authorities of the day. They saw him as blaspheming. They criticized him for mixing with and eating with tax collectors and sinners. They plotted against him, seeking to kill him. He was a threat to them. They thought they knew it all, and here was one who knew far more than them and who came teaching with such authority. All of a sudden, they felt threatened and humiliated. Even in his own town, where he and his family were well known, when he sought to teach in the synagogue, we read the people took offense at him. You know, for Mary, his mother... This must have been really hard, seeing the opposition and even her hatred that Jesus faced by many of those he encountered. But for her, worse was to come. She was to have to watch Jesus suffer in the lead up to and during his crucifixion. She would suffer alongside him, just as if being pierced by a sword. We're not told how Mary reacted to this prediction from Simeon, but it's unlikely it was news to her. She too was probably aware of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. In Psalm 22, David talks of him being mocked and insulted, of his hands hands and feet being pierced, and of clothes being divided up and lots cast for them. In Isaiah 53, the prophet said, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So it seems Mary remained content, happy even with her lot to be the servant of the Lord, and with whatever that entailed. We know that Simeon's prediction was lived out over the lifetime of Jesus. Jesus didn't just face opposition, hatred and scorn. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was sentenced to death on a cross, though he had done no wrong. This was not some tragic mistake. This wasn't some huge miscalculation. We're told in Hebrews 10 that Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This was the sacrifice that was required to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. This was the huge cost of which Simeon spoke. In his first letter, the Apostle Peter talks about us being ransomed from our futile ways not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We're going to come to share communion together in a few moments. As we do so, let's be forever thankful that we've met with Jesus, that he's made himself known to us, let's remember the cost, what it costs for us to be set free from our sin, for us to have the promise of eternal life, and let's be joyful as Simeon was.